0: In a day and age where it feels like most are focused on material things and having more, it's interesting to meet someone who has had high-paying jobs and realized that what was most important in life was to have what makes you truly happy, what makes you feel right inside, and follow your heart more than anything. Breyer has always been someone who has shown how humble and selfless he is just in his everyday way of being. When realizing where he came from and what he's been through, to find his way to where he is today, I felt he had a great story to tell. Many of us find ourselves on either side of the spectrum, and that's fine, but being able to do what it takes to make sure you are happy with yourself is the ultimate goal. Listening to Briar's story has been inspirational and mind-opening, and those are two things that we love to share here at The Open Perspective. So let's go ahead and get started with Briar's story. Welcome everybody to the Open Perspective. My name is David. I'm here along with my co-host John. Hello, everyone. He made sure to give you the long pause as usual. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, I just gotta make sure. Yeah, it's been, it's been a minute.
0: We're we're back here from our uh, summer vacation.
1: It feels like it, huh?
0: Yeah, it was a little uh, extended.
1: Yeah, I was getting grumpy. I maybe I just didn't want to be on anything at the moment. <laughs> It's I'm
0: funny. And, um, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say John decided to take on my role for about two months. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with it.
1: It was something new for him. Maybe we're just practicing.
0: I didn't know how to take on your role. That was the thing. I was like, okay, you can be me, but how do I come be you? You know? Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it was just one of the things. I just wasn't happy with anything at the moment, but we're good.
0: We're good Figured now. Yeah, we're yeah. good now, and we have a good episode ahead of us today, so I think that's uh, definitely the plus, right?
1: Yep, I'm excited. You know, I'm not saying that I don't like talking to you, but it's kind of nice that we're going to have a guest this week.
0: Well, you our don't episode. like you don't like our episodes of just you and I.
1: I said I knew you were going to go there.
0: <laughs> I, no, I, I like. I, I'm tired of talking to you by myself. To be honest <laughs> with you, I'm glad that you know someone wanted to have a, a conversation with you.
1: Right. And now that we have somebody else now, right?
0: Yeah. Break this so. up. So today we have uh, Briar from Wolf's Brew with us. Hello, Briar.
2: Hey, guys. How's it going?
0: We're good. Um let's see. How can I uh, kind of bring this up? Briar actually owns the coffee shop that I have found myself at quite often lately. And um, I would say that he's probably the shining light during the the covid lockdown right now for a lot of people and uh through conversation with briar i was like man um definitely got to get him on this podcast because he's got a cool story uh a lot to talk about um briar could have his own podcast at the coffee shop the way that he talks about things so
2: yeah
0: i'm excited to have you here man
2: thanks guys thanks man sounds like uh Sounds like we got a lot to talk about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely, man.
2: Conversation. I love it. Yes.
0: Um, How about we uh, just kick it off a little bit with uh, a little background on, on who you are, Briar?
2: Yeah, guys. Um, so my name is Briar. Uh, born and raised in Long Beach. Uh, pretty much lived most of my life here. Moved to San Francisco for a bit, but that's... An, We'll get to that born and raised here in Long Beach. Uh, first generation. Uh, mom is Salvadorian. Dad is Guatemalan. Uh, two brothers, younger and older. So I'm the middle child. Uh, I'd say in in that, just in general, all boys. So my mom was a little bummed out about that. because She didn't get the girl that she always wanted. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, pretty much a local boy um grew up here did all my thing here traveled a lot but um definitely a long beach person as far as how things have gone and growing up i mean it's changed a lot here in long beach so whether it's gentrification or whether it's just uh, the times um i've seen a lot of changes here so it's really cool to be here i'm uh, still you know back to long beach cuz i was living in LA for a bit back to Long Beach and seeing all the progression, seeing all the things that have changed, it's really cool. Um, Went to Millican High School, graduated in 94. So yes, I'm pretty old. As far as my friends always make fun of me, I'm I'm the old man of the group. I have a couple old dudes that hang with me, but um, I'm the old man of the group. So just turned 43 this year uh, in July actually, so just last month. So that always shocks people just being uh, at that age in the 40s because man it even sounds weird saying it uh
0: <laughs>
2: just because like i mean i don't feel 43 uh what does no, that not
0: mean, at all. mean
2: right what does that mean i don't know um but i definitely don't feel at that age group um it john, really, oh, sorry,
0: sorry sorry no sorry to cut you off but john what year did you graduate
2: 94
0: okay oh dang that's my year it's a year i graduated too
2: We're the
1: same age. well i'm a little i'm one year older but
2: okay
0: yeah, go. You're, 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 you're not the old guy in this group.
1: No, right? Good. I'm the old guy in our <laughs> okay. group.
2: I'm the middle child
1: again. All right. I'm there the, you I, are.
0: There you are.
1: I'm the old yep. guy when I hang out with David and our guys. So I understand. Yes. I completely empathize with that feeling of being okay. the old guy and not feeling like I'm in my 40s sometimes.
2: Right. Which uh, I think being. At that age group now has definitely developed a new person persona and personality for me. Only because, like, man, I think I just never thought I'd even live this long. Based <laughs> on just it just felt so old to say those words like 40s? Man, that's <laughs>
0: right?
2: So that in itself is already like an accomplishment for me.
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's funny, man. Um, so I know that you traveled a lot. Um, what Being that you're born and raised in Long Beach, what was the first thing to take you out of Long Beach?
2: I think it was just that. I think I saw a lot of my friends, you know, graduating high school and everybody was going to college and people, friends, and just people that I, you know, knew were all getting away that way, uh, going to college. And most of them, though, were actually just going to Long Beach State or Long Beach City College, which you know it's an accomplishment in its own to go to college and then college then wasn't what it is now Where now it seems like it's kind of like an easier route and i'm not saying anybody can get to college but you know it's still very much difficult but it was way harder then um and when people were going to college that was their escape so for me i didn't have that i wasn't the smartest kid in school so i didn't have scholarships i didn't have the funds so um my thing was like, man, I would like to see more of what's out there. But financially, I don't have anything. So I'm just going to kind of do it the old fashioned way. And that's just work, go to work, start working, um, start making money, saving up money. And I was a high school kid, basically with that mentality. So when I graduated high school, friends going off to college, and I was like, I'm going to go surf, and bought a surfboard, uh, wetsuit, all that jazz, and then basically just started going to the beach a lot and then that kind of triggered even more to like go see more. So I started surfing and going like driving my car up North to like Malibu and Zuma and it just kept going further North. And then that once I got to like, you know, San Francisco, then it came back down. I'm like, I'm going to go surf San Diego, then Mexico. So that kind of got me going with the whole travel bug. And that led me to one day, Kind of randomly, because again, it was different times in the 90s. Uh, applying for a credit card, and I got a $10,000 credit limit on a credit card at 19 years old, which is very dangerous. <laughs> and, you know, I did it to my parents, and I just was like, cool, I'm accepting it. Took it, and then I went to Europe with that. So, wow. that was basically, I wouldn't say free, because I ended up paying for that, but right. I went to Europe on a credit card. Paid for my flight, paid for, then it was, you know, Airbnb didn't exist either. So, and I didn't want to spend a lot of money. So it was just uh, hostels and hostels in the nineties were like, I'm not even joking. were like 12 bucks, 15 bucks. Wow. It was wow. like so cheap. And you're like, you can stay as long as you're willing to like share uh, like a room or stay in like almost like cots as far as sleeping. Um, right. You could stay for like 10 bucks a night.
0: And so I've I've always wondered like are hostels sketchy and especially in that time? Like- it, they
2: can be. They definitely could be. Um, I was I didn't know how to travel at the time, so I was learning as I go. And they definitely could be, but or can be. But I think the advantage was you know I was a dude, so I didn't have that that part of it where I need to worry about like you know somebody trying to take advantage of me or whatnot. Mostly we'll right. financially, maybe, but. I don't know, maybe just the fact that I kind of looked like I was, I knew what I was doing and I was confident. Nobody messed with me, but I stayed in rooms where like there was, I'm not even joking. Like there was like 10 people in one bedroom and it was like (laughs) five beds and two people in a bed and it was like $8 a night. And it was really cool because you're like, well, I just need a place to stay. That's literally all it was, a place to sleep where I wasn't going to get murdered overnight. And I get up in the morning and I have to go do whatever I want. And so I did that. And I went to Paris, went all over France, uh, Amsterdam, London, most of the UK actually um, went as far as Germany and then just kind of hung out and just literally I had no itinerary because I didn't know anything. The internet didn't exist then as far as like in your hand. So you just walked and you just saw maps and you just walked in road trains and Man, that was probably the best way to just explore, right? Because there's no
0: crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And then I met people I was out there, and that kind of just like triggered me to check out new places based on just locals or people from Europe in general. And that that trip kind of changed that was the first part of where I think my life started changing because I realized that there's so much out there. Because when you grow up in a you know, even though Long Beach was a city. You know, it was it was in L.A. It was in Los Angeles. Um, It was still kind of a suburb of L.A. So it was still considered like a small, smaller area to live in,
0: especially in in those days. Right now, I think it's a little different. There's people from all over. People travel in and out of Long Beach more often. But when you're growing up in a place, even if it's Long Beach, you can still easily wind up confide in your own area you know what i mean like you you're you're staying within your own neighborhood you're only going as far as your school and your home and that's really it you know so i think anytime someone um is born and raised in one area it's like yeah there's a lot to see you know
2: yeah and that was probably that was the first time that i actually got a dosage of that life and then And the crazy thing is, for being my first time traveling, I didn't get homesick. So in that, I'll have like a more story to that later on. But I didn't get homesick. I literally just came back because I not had to, but I just was like, okay, it's been two and a half weeks. I think I should come back home. Uh, The credit card still had plenty of money on it, but I didn't want to like max it out on one trip. So like, I came back and um, basically. Went, decided, got my shit together and was like, all right, I've been kind of just slacking off and surfing and doing nothing. So I decided to, you know, apply for college and actually start going to school. So I went to Cyprus College. And the reason I went to Cyprus was because I didn't want to just go to Long Beach school. Right. I knew I couldn't get into Long Beach State at the time because I didn't have the grades, but I didn't want to go to Long Beach City College. So because that's where everybody that didn't get into Long Beach State went. And it was, again, just it was almost that security, that home blanket of just living in more in Long Beach. And I was like, no, nah, I don't want to just do that. So I applied to the most random college and I applied to Cypress College. Nobody even knew where that was. And <laughs> it was crazy because nobody knew where Cypress was. was. Like, where Where's that?
0: I went to both, uh, actually, city and Cypress. So okay. I know what you, you mean. Did. Yeah. <laughs>
2: you know, yeah. You definitely know. But like most people, even to this day, are like Cypress. Is that a country or is that yeah. so it's just kind of a random place so I went to Cyprus College mostly just for that reason that I wasn't Long Beach right so I went there it was a really cool school um they were known for their arts and their um math programs and sciences but I wasn't interested in that I was more interested in just the arts so I did my junior college there um did my general ed there and but at the same time i never had this thing where a lot of people have like this and i get it because sometimes it's about money and even though i grew up poor i still appreciated what i had even if it was barely any money but i wasn't on a two-year program i was very much like do your school as long as it takes you to finish it when you're as on your own timeline because society sometimes dictates like you should be done junior college in two years and go to a a four-year college and finish it in four years so if you don't go to junior college you go to four year college and you should be done in four years because it's a financial thing right but at the same time people put so much pressure on themselves that it almost stresses them out to mo- almost breaking them and not even enjoying college yes so i was very anti that so i was like i'm just gonna take classes that i want junior year, that i'm supposed to take and finish when i finish and uh it took me three years to finish, and I was cool with that. I wasn't in a hurry. And I started college late because, you know, according to, to society, uh, not society, well, just my friends. They right. went to high school. So for me, I started at 20. And so I didn't graduate um, Cypress College until I was 23. And some of these guys were already, like, with their four, de- you know, uh, bachelor degrees, and I was still barely getting my A. But you got it. You know
0: what I mean? But I got it got Yeah, that's important. I, I always tell people, like, you know, like say, like my my younger cousins and stuff. When I'm talking to them, and you can tell they're not really feeling it. I'm like, don't let the natural pressures of how life should be get to you, right. because then you won't ever finish. Because no. now you're now you're always late, right? Oh, I'm late to this. For sure. I'm falling behind. I need to hurry up and have a career. And it's like if you constantly are living with the idea that I need to be done by this time you're always going to have that pressure. And then if you're not on time, you're not going to finish.
2: And it's just a lot of pressure in general to just live a life like that because everybody's timeline is different, right? Yes. Uh, And But there's some kind of weight of society that you should be done by this time and start your life career by this time, be married by this time, have a kid by this time. Those are all things that I was very aware of very young, but I wasn't really following the norm, so to speak. Uh, and I was honestly, my, my parents, like for example, like my parents, just a little background, uh, my mom, uh, didn't even go to high school. So she only went, she to this day only has junior high, uh, education
0: because
2: she came from a third world country and it was about just surviving. And -hmm. it was also about just, you know, working hard and that's how you survive and you raise a family and that's pretty much it and you're just grateful for being alive. That's the other part of it. My dad, um, high school, graduate, and that's it. So when I graduated from Cypress College, I already had surpassed all my family. Right. Older brother, um, he didn't go to college. So I was the only brother, you know, uh, individual in my entire family that went to to college. So already I had accomplished more than my entire family had, educational-wise. Right. So that was already like huge for me personally. And yeah, definitely. So, so that was, you know, already a success story in my eyes. And it was that part was also addicting. So besides the travel bug, now I had gotten the educational bug. And that led to me being like, man, I want to go get another degree. So that's when I decided that I want to go get a bachelor's. So I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with it or how I wanted to pursue it, but I knew that I did want to get more education because it was just like, wow, more education. Why not? Um, it makes you, you know, explore more, explore more within yourself, educate yourself. Knowledge is power. Like all these things started going through my head. Like, man, this is great. So yeah. I applied to Long Beach State, Monterey State, San Francisco State. Um, Cal State, Dominguez, all these schools that were pretty much like I figured like I should get into at least one of these right. and, in San Diego and got into uh, San Diego, got into Monterey, got into San Francisco and got into Long Beach State. Wow. So I got into I was really I was actually I was really shocked because I wasn't known for my scholastic background. So I was like, wow, OK, I guess I'm doing some right. My grades of at Cypress were 3.2. So I'm like, cool, I did something right and i had my pick so i went to long beach state and to this day i'm like why did i do that i still don't know why i chose. (laughs) I didn't expect you to
0: say that at all
2: like it was crazy because like i'm like i was trying to get away from this whole long beach thing and then i decided to go there anyways and Mm. i think it was because if i were to just explain it now i think it was out of all those schools it was the hardest one to get in only because it was the most impacted
0: yeah I mean my my high school counselor told me that I probably wouldn't get into Long Beach State, so don't even try.
2: Isn't that crazy? It's (laughs) like you can apply to Harvard and maybe get in there, but no Long Beach State, don't go there. That's not you're not gonna To this
0: day my mom is so pissed off about that. Like anytime we talk about high school, she's always like, Man, fuck that counselor you had (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just like what? She's like, Cause like you want your thing was you wanted to go to Long Beach State and she told you that most kids aren't gonna get accepted because so many people wanna go there. And that that you just, like, didn't really give a shit after that. And I was so like, it's yeah.
2: like... Yeah, but it's like, can you... That's insane to me to think that you won't get into a college not purely because of scholastic reasons or academic. It's just... There's just too many people. Too many bodies. That's right. the only reason you're Is there, Do they put that on the letter? You're rejected because there's too many bodies that go here.
0: I mean, but, they should. <laughs> right? Yeah. You're
2: really smart. You're a really good person. But you can't get in because there's too many bodies. Sorry. <laughs> you can't accept your application. So... It was kind of a weird thing for me to have gotten accepted and I actually decided to go to that one and I did and man, it was one of those things were like cool, learn lesson learned. Um, Let me
0: ask you this though. So the guy who wasn't really necessarily into following any kind of a program just cared more to have education for the things that you wanted to learn about. Now, what do you go do at Long Beach State when you're trying to get a bachelor's degree?
2: I mean, like, yeah, exactly. Like, for me, I decided I was going to do advertising.
0: Oh, that's
2: nice. Uh, Yeah, so I was like, advertising, it's creative, um, it's something in the art field, it's relatable, it's actually a job um, that's out there. Because, you know, I did want to be a photographer for a long time, but I'm like, dude, do people actually get to be photographers that are not National Geographic photographers? Yeah, so, that
0: time it wasn't as common as it is uh, today.
2: No, nah, it was just like, where do you, because even the uh, wedding photographer wasn't really common then.
0: Right, right.
2: So it was just a different world. And so I was like, I'm going to do advertising, it's creative, you can do this, it's, cor- it's corporate. And that corporate then was still very acceptable because it was a legitimate job and it was a career. Right. So uh, it was stable. So I was like, I'm going to do this. And then I went to Long Beach State for a year and hated it, like every moment of it. It was not what I expected at all. It was crowded. Uh, teachers were so impacted themselves that they weren't really paying attention to a lot of students because they were just overflowing the classes, right. which is not part of them either. And so after you know the first semester, I was like, man, I don't think I can stay here. I did it for another semester just to be like maybe just me. Maybe I'm just not adjusted to the state college, you know, system. And I did it and it, I was like, no, I'm not doing this. So after that year, I went to a counselor and said, you know, how do I get out of this school and go to another school that I had originally gotten accepted? And she's like, you pretty much have to give up everything you just did because nothing's going to transfer, which I just still don't understand, understand how one state college's credit um, <laughs> just transferred another state college's credit. But I think it's a money thing. So, like, they want you to start all over and just pay your bills, basically. Right. So, uh, I was, like, all right. And at that point, I was, like, it was one of those things where you just say, kind of, like, fuck it. Like, I'll throw away all that money just to get out of here. Mm -hmm. So, I did. So, she's, like, you're only one class is going to transfer if you go to any of those colleges. So, I'm, like, don't care. So, at that point, um, I was 24. And almost 25 and was like, all right, I'm going to move to San Francisco. So that school had accepted me. I reapplied again. They took me right away and I told them basically my background and they're like, cool. So that's when I was like, I'm moving to San Francisco. And the reason I decided on that city was because it was in California. So, you know, all of those fees and all the things that come with like moving out of state were still very much like not a problem, but I'd always loved that city just visually um as a kid driving up there with my parents once as a road trip and just going a couple times on my own with a girlfriend um kind of did it for me it was like man that city's pretty dope like it's so different but it's still california but it feels so different in la it's not la at all um and it's it was not,
0: it's not all that different right john
2: <laughs> that was what 2001 2002 i'm just kidding uh, that, actually a good call it was 2001 dude you're doing the math i love that
1: uh
0: well, <laughs> what, year you, what year did you move up
1: 2001
2: Damn,
0: oh shit. dude it's <laughs> like you guys are best friends that don't even know it
2: <laughs> it's like that degree of separation thing okay
1: right. no but
2: it,
1: san francisco was way different back then than it is now
2: for sure yeah, so that was so I I told my parents and they were not happy about it. My dad was like, "Cool." But my mom was like, "Why would you want to go to a college that's far when you just were in a college just 5 minutes from here?" Cuz really? I was yeah. the first one that was actually pursuing something other than just a career.
0: I take it that your dad is the more easygoing one out of the two.
2: Oh, dude, my dad's chill. Dad, but my dad was the aggressor growing up. Like, very aggressive, very hard to please, very much like the hard ass. My mom was like, do whatever you want. Like, enjoy life. And then as I became an adult, it swapped, like, night and day. It's weird. Yeah. Nice.
0: Yeah,
2: I don't know what happened. I think just uh, age, maybe. Maybe one of them decided that it was too much to just be so upset or too serious all the time. I don't know. Oops. um yeah so moved up there parents didn't like it but i did it anyways um then when i moved up there it was i mean shit it was like a different world like night and day i arrived there and it's pouring rain and you know southern california why do people move here
0: it never rains in southern california rain.
2: it's beautiful weather we have the mountains you have forests you can go snowboarding and surfing on the same day i mean it's just like it's all these pluses, 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 but the traffic sucks, right? Yes. So I go up there and it's raining and it was crazy because I get my apartment, it's a tiny little place, and it, I mean tiny. Uh and that was really like a wake-up call as far as like having my own place, which is just in itself nostalgic in San Francisco. Um, but the weather just just sucked. It rained <laughs> three, four days in a row the first month that I was there. And I was like, oh, my God, did I make the right decision? And everybody was like, no, nah, this is just like a freak of nature. This, this, It's not this bad. It's it's cold and it rains a lot in here, but not this bad. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. Because this is, even though I don't like not having seasons, this is a bit too much. Right. So um, kind of don't Yeah, I live in the sunset. Yeah, I live in the, in the outer sunset. Um, so it was even colder out there because it was right by the beach. And it's, it's weird to think that here in Southern California, real estate by the beach is where everybody wants to be. But in San Francisco at that time, it was the city. People wanted to be in downtown, not by the beach because it was really cold. It was a different weather pattern out there. It was like night and days again.
0: Um, That's crazy to me in San Francisco how the weather changes so much.
2: Dude, it's crazy. It's drastic for sure.
0: Like you're in one neighborhood and it's this type of weather for the day, and then you literally drive twenty, thirty minutes, and it's like completely different
2: weather. Yeah, yeah, have... No, nope, go for it. I'm sorry.
1: No, you just cross Twin Peaks and you go mm-hmm. downtown. It's half. It's like ten degrees more.
0: Dude, it's crazy. I remember when I'd go out there, I'd be like, "What the hell's going on?" You know, you leave where you're at with t-shirt and shorts, and you get somewhere and you're like, "Holy shit!" I didn't know I was gonna need a full blown
2: jacket. You know. Yeah.
1: No, I, I live exactly in the outer sunset. It.
2: Did you live out there, too? The sunset? No, that's
1: I live. I still live. I live on 22nd. I ain't going nowhere.
2: Oh, you're out there right now? Yeah. Oh, dang. Okay, so this is hitting you right yeah. now. Yeah, oh, yeah. Man.
0: That's what I'm saying. He's been that's there since so 2001. Dope. That's yeah. why I said it that way. <laughs> uh,
2: that, that just flew right over my head. Holy craps, so you're out there right now. I love it.
0: Okay. Yeah. SF State. I
1: didn't go to SF State, but I okay. worked at Stone Town for a long time. So.
2: Dude, Uh the little side, little sidebar here. I <laughs> opened this the hot topic at Stone Sound. I opened that store. Oh, okay. <laughs> so
0: you would, you would have worked at a hot topic before,
2: <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> no, well, that it leads me to my there. next it question, though. <laughs> no, yeah, there was a small period of time when it was kind of cool, but that was going to be my next question. So historically, everyone pretty much knows that San Francisco is like way too expensive. Yeah. Um so now you're going to school there. I mean, is it just like a free ride and rents included or like, what are you doing to make money at this time?
2: Oh man. Like that was the part that was like, Ooh, so I take out student loans like everybody else did. Right. And I get, they give you options. You can take the lowest amount, the middle of some middle amount or the highest amount. And I was like, well, I need the highest amount. So took the highest amount, which is like 20 grand. And I was like, well, that'll, I'll be comfortable with that. But I didn't realize, I thought pretty much like that would be enough to get me through my entire like two years of San Francisco. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, 20,000? That's a lot of money. And if I get a job on top of that, dude, no way. So rich. Yeah, basically. (laughs) So like a dumb 20-year-old that I was, I did that with that mentality and then just started blowing it. Without realizing it, like just going out to restaurants and going out to bars, because I was because I was kind of a tourist but a resident, right? Because right. you're just you want to do it all, and I was really really big. Uh, well, I've always been really really big into music, so they have amazing venues up there. So I was literally going to like bars and restaurants and music venues like three or four times a week. On top of that, I was working full time and I was in school full time. But I, I was so. trying to just take it all in because it was such a dope city um, that I just wanted was like, I didn't want to even take my time. I just wanted to do it all. <laughs> um, so I was blowing my money left and right. But I was working, but it was, you know, paying for books, paying for rent. And rent, even though it was still not what it is now, uh, it still, it was kind of comparable uh, at that time to be able to live okay. Um, but it still was expensive for sure. More than it was here, like in, in LA Long Beach area. Right. So, so basically by the second year, almost graduating time, um, I had blown all of it and now I was little, literally living paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, I decided to stay up there another few, few more years and just live on my own, which is great. And then I decided to move back after all that but that life experience to this day was probably one of my favorites period. Like I wouldn't change it for the world to do that again. So I think the only regret, and people ask me this, do you have any regrets? I'm like, no, I don't. I'm like, wait, hold on. I do have one regret. My only regret is that I moved back. So, um, I loved it up there. I still go up there. I mean, besides just in the recent, um, before COVID, um, I was going up there every two years just because I love it so much up there. But it has changed dramatically, for sure. Very Nice.
0: Very so so um, you go to City College. You go to college and get a degree in advertising.
2: Actually, right? that's when I changed my degree when I went up there. Sorry. I went and oh. got a BFA in photography, so fine art photography.
0: Oh, so you did decide to do photography.
2: I did, yeah. I switched it up. And that was because, uh, this is the weird crazy part, is San Francisco State did not offer an advertising major. Got it. So I had to change my major basically because it didn't even offer it. And I was like, well, then I'll just do photography.
0: And here I am trying to give him credit for taking good Instagram photos. <laughs> <laughs> he's
2: exactly. Actually, he's like trained. Shit. <laughs> and really? you're like, have a degree in that shit. You should be good at that. Yeah. Exactly. Should I should be, be able to
0: hand you a potato. And exactly. Take a picture of the potato. <laughs> Here's a potato. Oh man. <laughs> so
1: I should do that next time.
0: Actually. Okay. So I'm trying to get to the part where uh, photography degree equals opening a coffee shop. And <laughs> nice. I, I personally I know. Make this <laughs> yeah. No. And I personally know there's a lot in between, but. that's that's what I'm getting at. It's like, and for those listening at home too, and for myself, I think that we have these moments where we're like, okay, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I've been doing this my whole life. Now this is what I have to go do. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And, and to me, that's one cool thing about you and, and what I've learned through conversation is that it's like, that's not necessarily the case. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, degree in photography. You still live in San Francisco. Are you taking pictures and stuff like when you after you graduate, or what do you wind up doing?
2: Yeah. So I moved back home. Well, while I went up there, yeah, for sure. That's that becomes my obsession. I have a camera wrapped around me all the time, um, basically thirty-five millimeter. I was again. That was before the digital age was right. in your hand. So I had a camera wrapped around me all the time, and it was 35 millimeter. So, I don't think
0: people realize, like, in my eyes, digital photography is still very young.
2: It is. In it the is. sense
0: that, like, there's plenty of people who started with film. You know what right. I mean?
2: Yep. Well, like, in my school... um, it was obviously a known thing but only people that worked in like again like National Geographic or like really high end careers had digital cameras you didn't just go to Target or to Best Buy and buy a digital camera like you, you could maybe not Target but it was going to be real expensive right. right so only those dudes had it um, and the program that I took at San Francisco you weren't allowed even if you could afford it you were not allowed to use digital it was all 35 millimeter Nice. So they taught you or we were taught how to develop our own film, shoot our own, shoot our own cameras with our cameras, um, develop your own film uh, process, and then burn and dodge if you had to like change or alter and print. So that's what I learned. And that to was in wide th- and color.
0: To this day, the, the dark room to me is still like the most... Um the uh what am i trying to most like relaxing place i don't know why
2: i mean it's it's pretty much becomes like this space where if you're by yourself for example like when Mm -hmm. i would do that sometimes it was very relaxing because you are creating something in this dark space that's not typical it's not place that most people you could drop a lot of people in that room and they'd be like what am I doing here what do I do how do I do this right and it's not something you can just maybe figure out or you could but it's not going to be easy and it's not for everybody because there's a, there's patience involved and yeah,
0: you can fuck all your shit up real quick
2: yes that and like yes. think about how the world is now where everything's very uh, instantaneously and instant gratification and more now, people that do this process now it's there's even more respect because now they could easily not do this process and just do digital and get it all done in you know a few hours and come back to it and put it into computer files and even though that's a process in itself, but you're not dealing with chemicals, you're not smelling that. you don't have to have a dark room, uh which is that space in itself. Um, it's crazy because I remember thinking like, this is really cool that I get to do this and I'm learning how to do this. So that that in itself was rewarding. Um, And as I started learning, as I got older, it became very important to know what the process was about what you do. So whether it's taking a photo, um, I remember my professor in college told me that if you, you know, walk in or walk into a project with, you know, six rolls of film or 10 rolls of film even, and there's 40 exposures and 10 photos are amazing, he's like, that's an accomplishment itself. Because when you take that photo, it's just your eye and it's just your knowledge on the camera, the camera's the rest. But more than that, like, if you can take 10 amazing photos, that's huge. Um, Yeah. Because it's the process. And when you're developing, you're burning and dodging and you're printing, it's you're waiting, you're doing all these steps to just get a piece of paper in your hand that has a memory on it. And that's an incredible feeling to actually nail it. So I can only imagine what photographers used to feel in the twenties or thirties or forties when they didn't have an option to go digital. They didn't even know what that word was. And now just
0: happy to be able to capture the moment
2: for sure. And their cameras were even more primitive Were to the point where they weren't even easy to use. They were heavy. They you had to lug like equipment. Um, so that was really cool. So I remember feeling a very nostalgic, but at the same time connection to what I was doing. And I really, really appreciated it. Um, and it meant more than just like degree at that point. I was like, I just learned a skill and whether or not I use it, I don't care. Um, I was more about, I just learned something that I love to do. That was really cool. And that kind of started a, a, this whole cycle and this whole, you know, boulder r- rolling down the mountain of like things that would come in my life that I started appreciating differently than just what it is.
0: Right. So what um, you said that you, you came back home after you came or back to Southern California. What uh, I guess what made you come back and then what were you coming back to?
2: So that's when it gets a little dark. Basically, um, I was with a girl up north uh, in San Francisco, and didn't end well. And that's why I regret that because I decided to move back, mostly because I didn't want to. It was a bad breakup, and I moved back home because of a girl. Get away, yeah. And to this day, I'm like that was. If I was even. Five years later, I would have never done that. I would have been like, if I run to her, I don't care. If I see her, I don't care. But I moved back because I didn't want to do those things. I didn't want to run into her. I didn't want to see her. Um, So that was the main reason why I moved back. And to this day, I'm just like, man, if I had to do it all over again, that part, I would mm-hmm. not do the same. I would never move back for a girl because or because right. of a
0: girl. Right.
2: So I come back home and um, decided pretty much in that, in my eyes at that time, start my life all over. Cause I was very much getting acclimated to San Francisco life, very much becoming, you know, Northern California person. And then I come back home and I was kind of disappointed that I was back here. So I felt like I had accomplished something and now I was starting all over again. So that was really hard for me. I had a really rough year that year, year and a half. Uh, it was two thousand and six. So it was really rough only because it felt those emotions of coming back because of a girl didn't work out. And I let myself down by letting a girl do this to me.
0: Right. Gotcha. And so then what did you wind up doing then?
2: So I was working in retail up there. As I mentioned, I worked at Hot Topic and I was actually also a manager at Urban Outfairs. So I was working two jobs at one point and going to school. And, so I moved back, and I was able to get a transfer to an urban outfitters down here in Southern California. So worked at the Irvine Spectrum, uh, oh, nice. urban outfitters. So worked there. That was awesome because it was not Long Beach again. Uh, <laughs> it was really deep in the Orange County. So I kind of at this to this day, I'm like that was cool because on my own, I wouldn't have applied there, and I wouldn't have ever like been engulfed in the Irvine culture, if you want to call it that. But I mean, in the
0: early 2000s, Irvine was still like. It was nothing. I mean, I I look at Irvine kind of like San Diego in the sense that it's like. Really? It's not just. What I mean is, it's not just down the street. It's like a whole different lifestyle. It's a whole different county. You got a whole different type of people. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And so Irvine's like that. And to me, San Diego has always been like that. You know, like it's different. The culture is very different, you know? For sure. And. And especially in those times, I think maybe right now, with Irvine's becoming more just, like, part of Orange County. You know what oh, I'm yeah. saying?
2: 100%.
0: But in those times, it, it wasn't just, oh, that's Orange County. It was like, oh, Irvine? Like, that's something completely different. You know what yep. I mean?
2: Yeah, no, definitely.
0: So I can see how that was. But, man, to be a, a manager at Urban Outfitters at Irvine Spectro, I mean, that's kind of a big deal in that it time.
2: Was, it was really cool, actually. At first, I was like, Irvine. I'm like, I don't want to go out there. I didn't even know Irvine. I just had it's one of those cities you just drive through going to San Diego, right? And um, uh, it was known for the spectrum, which is still the monster there.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: and it was also known for UC Irvine, so it was known for the college and it was known for that one shopping center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was like, sure, if that's the only job I can take, I remember telling my managers in San Francisco, being like, if that's the only one I can get transferred to, then I'll. So be it, but I'm going to get the hell out of there as fast as I can. And I get transferred there, and it was a different role. Imagine going from San Francisco to Irvine. So Irvine. <laughs> yeah, not San Francisco yeah. to LA, not San Francisco to even like, you know, Costa Mesa <laughs> or something. Where it's a little bit more city, it was like Irvine. Wow. So I go there, and it's one of those things, man, like it was, it was, it blew my mind. It was really cool. It was probably the best place I could have gone to because it wasn't a big city. Uh, it was kind of an escape, but at the same time, it was really cool to be surrounded by a bunch of like college kids. Mm-hmm. Um, they were in their prime; they were going to school, and I had just graduated and I just got in a shitty relationship. And I was like, "This is probably the best thing to be surrounded by is a bunch of positive people that are just excited to be in school, excited to living, partying, going to like bars." And it was just like, "Man, this is what I want to be surrounded with." although that got to the point where i became too engulfed in that lifestyle because it was like you said it was really cool to be a manager like if you're a manager at urban outfitters in those times you were really hip and you were like a boss right. uh like you were like like if you walked into a room people were, like dang urban outfitters manager it was like a fucking thing and i didn't know <laughs> i didn't know that until like i started getting that credit and i was like the hell i'm just working retail but it was a big deal um, so, you know, I'd go to parties and people would be like, dude, urban outfitters manager. Heck yeah. Hey, you know, it was a really hip job. <laughs> and, and that was before the whole hipster term even came into the thing. It was right. becoming a thing, but it wasn't a thing yet. It was just about to become a thing.
0: So, I mean, we've both, John and I have both worked retail. And I think that when you're in retail, and especially before more so, but anytime that you're in retail and you're the manager, that's already kind of a big deal. Like if, sure. if you've worked, if you've actually done something in retail, then, and you know what the general manager does yeah. and the kind of money they make and, yeah and, and the, and the choices they get to make, then yeah, you, yeah. you get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So right. it's like, it, yeah, it is kind of a big deal. And especially to a bunch of college kids and especially oh, yeah. to those college kids who are like, oh, urban's my spot. You know what I mean?
2: Yep. Right. Exactly. Right. It's exactly you nailed it. Uh, and I had just come back from a cool living in a cool city, San Francisco.
0: Oh, you got stories to tell too. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I
2: stories. I had yeah. background. I had like, and I didn't have, oh, now it's the other part kind of, uh, sidetracking a little bit. I didn't have any tattoos. Actually, I actually had one tattoo when I moved to San Francisco oh, wow. back with, the, with the sleeve. Got so it. now I had one arm that was covered in tattoos and that was again, not the most common thing. Even in the in, early 2000s, no, no, it wasn't the common most common thing, especially for a dude that was, you know, especially for a dude that was educated and had like uh was working in retail, like you were supposed to not, even though it was really hip and cool, you weren't supposed to do that. Uh, it just wasn't at that time yet. And it's crazy because in the next five years, it's when it shit blew up and everybody was getting tattooed. Yeah.
0: It's so, actually funny that you say that because my manager that I worked for in retail in the early two thousands was sleeved in one arm, and it was a huge deal. Right. Like, it was a, it was a problem, and and yeah. even people would yeah. come and be like, "Can I talk to the manager?" And right. then and then she would be like, "I'm the manager." And then they'd be like, "No, he's he has to be the manager because <laughs> there's no way that you're the manager." You know. And and I'm like, no, she's the manager. You know, you wanted to talk to the manager. There you go. But you're just assuming because she has all these tattoos that that's not the manager. You know? Nope.
2: Right. Yeah, and that was very much the case. You know, many times I got that. we're like, can I speak to the manager? And it was me.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And just, it was not good. They would never take me seriously. Or they wanted to speak to even somebody higher. I'm like, okay, that's not possible because there's nobody else here. They work at a corporate office in Philadelphia, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So... Uh, Yeah, so that was pretty cool. Um, Definitely meet a lot of cool people, partied a lot. And I was, like, coming out of a breakup, so I was just kind of, like, fuck it mentality. Like, I'm going to (laughs) just go off. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I went off. And I was just partying, hanging out, like, meeting cool people, going to college parties. I was, like, going to college parties again. And I thought that was not going to be my life anymore. But (laughs) everybody's going to college parties now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was living it, man, and and making good money. So, so what
0: happened though? Why are you not an urban outfitter manager anymore?
2: So basically I was like, all right, that that bubble needs to not be my life. Um so after that, I transferred to another urban outfitters in Costa Mesa and then ended up quitting altogether because I'm like, no, I need to figure something else out. And Started applying to other places and then became a manager at Vans and became an assistant manager, worked at the South Bay Galleria, uh, moved my way up through the rankings, started really liking the company a lot to the point where I was really good at it. And I was like, that's when I started realizing, I'm like, holy shit, I think I'm just really good at retail, Um, not photography, not advertising of things that I'd really been passionate about. But just being a good manager at retail, and I think a lot of it was because I was just really good with talking to people, um, and that's when I started kind of honing in on my personality more and more about like I think I'm just more of a people person. I think I work really well with people. I'm not an asshole when it comes to being people's bosses. I don't get you know that power monger thing where people just get that that power and they just want to abuse it. I was very much the you know I just wanted to share it. Um, so, I just started kind of realizing like retail's cool. Like I can do this. It pays really well. So I started kind of just doing that and worked at vans. and after just one year, they got my own store, and then, after one year of that, they were like, "We want you to do more." So I became a project manager for them and started traveling a lot. Um so I'd basically be the guy that would open stores um in the United States for vans so they build it out construction would come in build out a store and then it sent my team and i was in charge um i'd built i got to build my own team and they we would basically just go to a shop and we'd build it from you know merchandising wise uh fixtures merchandising clothing uh, we'd do all the hiring for the staff for the shop and then in 10 days we'd hand them a key and be like this is your store now to the new manager and then we'd leave and go do it in another state So I did that for two and a half years. And I went to, I opened 36 stores in 36 different states. So traveled a lot. Um, And if you guys have ever seen the movie Up in the Air by George Clooney, um, that was my life. Like I literally would come home and there was nothing in the fridge. And if there was, I'm not going to eat it because it's probably not good. Uh, (laughs) There was no nothing in the closet. Nothing. It didn't look like anybody lived there, because I was gone two to three weeks every month. Um, so I lived on the road. So hotels were my home. Um, did you
0: did you love every moment of it, or did you have? I I
2: I because I, I knew at one point I remember being like six months into it and being like, "This is really cool that I get to do this," because most people wish they could do this or had you know have don't have the privilege to do this. And I was doing another company dime. I had a corporate card and I would literally fly into, and since I was the, their boss of these teams, I would fly in, in first class, and I'd get my own private car. I was like living the life. Um, <laughs> these guys would fly in and coach and they would have to like, you know, get a crappy little whatever they would give them at, the, at Hertz. And I would get an Escalade, you know? <laughs> It was not, not even, it was just crazy. It was just like, okay, this is my life right now. And I was, and I knew it. And I'm like, I can, I know where I came from. And I'm still going to be humble about what I'm doing. So I'm going to appreciate every moment of this. So I wasn't an asshole about it or, you know, abusing the power that I was getting. I was loving your minute and I was sharing it. Um,
0: You're single like, at this time?
2: I was. Yeah.
0: So you didn't really it. have anything you had to go back home to anyway.
2: Yeah. And I think that's the only reason why I really probably enjoyed it just as much as I could have because there was mm-hmm. no person that I was leaving behind. Right. And so that was an amazing part and I loved it. I did that for two and a half years. I remember and then, you know, doing whether it was Oklahoma or New York City or uh Hollywood or Washington, I remember being, it was a really it was a really weird moment. I remember being in Honolulu. And I was on the 32nd floor and I had this insane uh, apartment that they had put me in. Uh, I opened my curtains and it was the Waikiki, basically. Uh, And it was all paid for. And I had a rental car downstairs. I was this crazy SUV. I don't even remember what it was. Valley parked it for me. I didn't even park my own car. Like living that rock star celebrity life and then being like, i'm so alone because i hadn't dated two years i hadn't even been with i mean i'd been with girls but it wasn't any it wasn't anything
0: i feel like hawaii will do that to you
2: right because everybody's on a honeymoon or everybody's getting married there
0: yeah like hawaii is like the (laughs) place where when you go like you know we so we go on tour and hawaii is one of our stops and I feel like every time we go to Hawaii, I'm always like, man, I wish my wife was with me.
2: Right. You want to share that with somebody.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay,
2: okay.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't get me wrong.
2: We, we, I mean, it's cool, but you want to share it with somebody for sure.
0: Yeah, like we still enjoy it. We still get full relaxation. We we definitely still enjoy it. But I think that we're always in the back of our mind. are like, man, I, I wish my wife was here with me, you know? For sure. And, and if exactly. we didn't have kids and, and other things going on back home I'm sure they would but typically it hasn't worked out that way yet to where it's like all right cool we're bringing the wise with us but yeah Hawaii will do that to you so it makes perfect sense that you felt that in that moment
2: yeah so I, I remember sitting in my room and I was my day off that day and I'm like I don't want to do this anymore and sitting staring at Waikiki Beach thinking that like, I'm gonna give all this up because I don't want to be on the road all the time anymore. As much as I love to travel and as much as I like like loved actually what I did for a living and I was getting paid like bank, didn't want to do it anymore. Um so I started looking for jobs like on the internet there and on a laptop and <laughs> found uh found uh M H&M, and Two weeks later, I was gone. And wow. so went so HM?
0: Wh- what did H&M have to offer you that was better than Waikiki in a car you can't even pronounce downstairs?
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> I think it was, honestly, it wasn't that I wouldn't use the word stability, but it was that it wasn't traveling anymore because I think I couldn't just go back. To I don't want to travel anymore with bands. I think they were like, you have to do this or we are not going to give you another job position here because you're too good at what you do. Right. So I had to demote myself. And I don't think they would, even though they would have accepted it, they would have looked at me in a really bad way for demoting myself.
0: Well, yeah, it's definitely never good to do that.
2: Yeah. So like almost like you can't handle our job. So, you know, we're not going to ever promote you ever again. So I went to H&M and they offered me a lot more money and That's all a of, plus. it's really weird, yeah, they offered me over money, but then h and m was kind of like a new and up and coming company in the United States. They had been doing their thing in Europe and not here. So yeah. I started working there, and the paychecks were insane, man. It was like big bucks in mm-hmm. 2009, like nine, two thousand and ten. It was a lot of money with their pain. and but the the workload was insane. it was it was almost backbreaking to the point where, it was so stressful. I was working like eight hour days were not a thing. It was like 10 to 14 hour days every day, five days a week. Cause they were so busy. Cause they were like the new hottest thing in the United States. There was yeah. only one store in New York and there was like, or two stores in New York and like one store in Santa Monica. That was it. That was before they were everywhere. Um, so we were like busy, uh, like crazy busy. Um, worked there for a bunch of years. Um, quit, went back to Urban Outfitters, did that, um, and then ended up in Pasadena and was working at the Urban Outfitters in Pasadena. And again, I was getting paid well, I was doing my thing, really enjoying my job. Same thing happened. I was staring out the window, like eating my lunch and being like, fuck, man, like this is cool, but this is not doing it for me. And then that's when I started realizing, I'm like, is it just me now? These jobs are taking care of me. Is, is it just something that I'm going through that I just don't get? So I quit. Um, and my friend uh, was running a brewery called Congregation Illhouse, uh, which is a restaurant brewery in Pasadena. And he was the general manager there.
0: All right. So I don't want to cut you off. But yep. for everybody listening, this right here is the moment of which... I want everyone to kind of focus on because to me, this was the part of Briar's story that made me go, what (laughs) and why and how, and you know what I'm saying? Like you have everything that most people want. You're doing things that most people want to do, but you're still able to realize within yourself that there's something that's not right. Right. And that is a very hard thing, in my opinion, for people to do because they usually will destroy their life before they even start to realize that. You know what I mean?
2: And I was 33 uh, when this happened. So I wasn't like a kid, you know. wasn't like an old, but I was, you know, not a kid. And having, at this point, almost 15 years or like 12, 15 years, somewhere in there, I don't even remember, um of retail experience and management where i was i literally could apply to anywhere whether it's like zara or like even like your high-end stores like louis vuitton or burberry and probably get hired and make bank mm-hmm. uh, and i was like this isn't what i want to do anymore so my friend is a general manager of congregation el house his name is matt and he's like and i was like i want to work i want to try something new i want to work in restaurants now i want to try a I lot I, you know, Beer is kind of like a new thing. I've been hearing a lot about what's going on. I love drinking beer, but I don't know a lot. And that's when craft beer was not a thing yet. It was 2010. So craft beer was Mm -hmm. very, very new. And a lot of people didn't even know what that was. The term craft beer was like, I don't understand. Fancy beer. There's no such thing as fancy. Coors Light, Bud Light. Beer is beer. It's not fancy. You can't fancy. Wine is fancy. Cocktails are fancy. Beer is not fancy. So... I go there and the guy's, and he's my friend. He's like, I can get you a job here and I will guarantee you getting hired, but you're going to be a bus boy. That's the best that I can do because you have no experience in this field. So I went from making $32 an hour to making $11 an hour.
0: John, would you do it? Would I? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because
1: yeah. oh. I've, I've walked the same path that he's walked. The mm-hmm. I've done NSOs. I did NSOs for Apple, which is just as crazy as doing any NSO anywhere else. But would I start over? Yeah. Cause you know, I mean, I don't know. Prior to finish telling his story, but, but I would in a heartbeat.
2: Okay. That's amazing to, to hear another person do that. Cause you know what that means? Like it's more than just at that point. It's not about the money. Obviously it's about something more that's going to hopefully fulfill you. And if not, it's still a different path that way you already knew was not making you happy.
0: Right, so, but but why how are you looking at this? Was it just the restaurant business?
2: It was actually yes, it was the restaurant business, but I didn't know which route to take. So my dad always told me like, you know, if you're gonna do something, do it with pride and do it with your heart. Don't just do it because it's a paycheck. So at that moment it was like, All right, if I'm gonna be a bus boy, I'm gonna be best best boy everybody has ever fucking seen and that right. sounds like dumb but i'm like no there's pride in that so i was like cool when do i start and he's like you start next week here's your uniforms a black shirt black mm-hmm. pants and i didn't know shit about beer as far as like besides what i knew i just knew like five different kinds um i never worked in food i would never even held a plate i didn't even, i didn't even know how to hold a plate like as far as you know, people have three or four plates in their arms. I didn't know how to do any of that, so I just started learning. Like I would come in early, and at home I even bought plates from Target, and I would just balance <laughs> my arms and just stand in my rooms. Rooms, and I was like, "How the fuck do people do this with food on it? What if it's hot? How do I do that?" And then I started learning how to carry glasses, and then you know terminology. It wasn't as common to look up things on the internet just yet. It was becoming a thing, but just not as it is now. Um, but I just started learning and I would literally come in before my shift about an hour before my shift and I would sit there and just write notes. And I'd watch the servers and I'd watch the bartenders and I'd watch the other busboys and how they carried things. Okay, he's holding it with three fingers and he's got that thumb open. Oh, she's carrying it on her. She's using her the little you know fold in her arm by her elbow and she's holding it It pressed against her left left side of her arm so that's how she does it so i was just taking notes on everything
0: but briars got it down to a science man
2: dude it was it was kind of like i get it like i get why basketball players watch film now i get it when baseball players watch film and like <laughs> i'm like this is what i'm doing right now but i'm physically doing it right now mm-hmm. um it was crazy that i was so invested in this idea and, and at this time I was dating somebody and she was younger a lot younger but she was like totally fucking egging me on like do it this is what you want to do I met you during this transition in your life and I'm totally for it um, nice. so I just killed it man like I would come in and it was just on time you know or early and I would just kill it every, every shift to so the point where like they were like when you work shit gets done like it we don't even need a second person or a third person to back you up you can just run circles around the other two people because they only would have three people on to run the whole restaurant busters mm-hmm. and sometimes something would be like do you mind being on just two of you cool Then and there was a few times they're like do you mind just being you by yourself tonight sure and i would just kill it and i was because it was pride there was pride mm-hmm. there was this sense of like urgency there was a sense of like I want to get to the next level and I want to learn everything. So within nine months of being a buster, they're like, we want you to be a server. And I didn't even know what that meant, but I had observed. So I was like, sure. Took that on, <laughs> became a server. Four months later, they're like, we want you to bartend. And I was like, okay, hold on. And I told my boss, I'm like, I don't want to bartend. And the reason was because I was so scared to be a bartender because I've I've drank at bars millions of times. I know that the bartender is the highlight of the entire space. I knew that if you stand behind that bar, everything falls on you. And right. I didn't want that pressure. I wasn't ready for it and want it. And I'm like, how does that bartender pour a beer and make a Jack and Coke and pour this and then still talk to the guy at the bar all at once? And I'm like, I've learned a lot and I've done a lot, but I can't do that. And my general manager, her name was Stephanie, was like, You can do that. You do what you do so good, and you've learned it and you stepped over you've already went past 15 people that have been here for years that wanted to do what you want to do. And I'm giving it to you and you don't want it. And I was like, I don't want it. And she literally still scheduled me anyways and forced me to, <laughs> do. she's like, you're going to be a fucking bartender. I don't care what you're, you're too valuable to this, to this bar. And my friend, Matt was just kind of laying back and being like, I'm going to just watch it all happen. he wasn't saying either, either or taking sides to her or me. Uh, he was just kind of like, do what you need to do. And, So I started watching YouTube, and YouTube at that time was still, again, not what it is now. And (laughs) I would watch YouTube videos. I went and got um, bottles of water, and I'd do food coloring. I got glassware, get ice cubes, and I would just start making drinks based on, like, what I thought they would look like. And based on, like, do you build it, do you shake it, or do you stir it? Those are the three things. So I started learning all those things. And then I'm like, how do you pour beer? I don't know how to pour beer at a speed multiple beers what's the difference between this what's the head glassware so i started researching all this on my own so i did this and to the point where like one of my general managers um was so impressed i was so wanting to learn this that she took me under her arms she's like i'll teach you everything about being a bartender and pouring beer and she did she went to belgium um she would she's basically the the best bartender and general manager we ever had at that company, she would go to Belgium every year to study beer, to study beer. Who does this? And <laughs> so she was a badass, And and um, she taught me everything. So when she came back and went through these steps and would yell at me and per- like in front of people, like, that's not how you pour beer. You know better. Would literally grab drinks out of my hand and pour them down the drain because it wasn't the right way.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, It was like that hard chef mentality, basically. And because of her, dude, I became like their best bartender within three more months after that. I was literally running circles around their best bartender who had been there three years.
0: So it's a little funny to me because you're a bartender at this point in your life. You now own the coffee shop. And I've always said that in life, there's three places that are... Um, that are par- that are pretty much the therapy session for people. Two out of the three I'm okay with. The third one, it's not always the best, but it's the coffee shop. The third one being the uh, bar, and then the second one would be the a barber shop. Yeah. And so, to me, these three places are all places where you're gonna sit down and whoever your client is is going to be pouring themselves out to you.
2: Right. Exactly. Yep. It was about people, right?
0: Yeah. So you you've you've pretty much done two out of the three and you're finding your way into this second uh or into the first one and not only are you good at bartending, but did you start to experience that whole side of it as well?
2: Yeah, I started realizing that I I could do more. Um, And then that got me more addicted to more when it came to trying out other things, even more stuff, even more things that life has to offer and not just the path that we think we're supposed to be on. And at one point I was killing it and it wasn't even it wasn't even a challenge anymore. After three years of being there, I was literally just doing things almost with my eyes closed. I was so good at that job and it was amazing but at the same time i was like i'm still now that i've accomplished this now i'm a bartender i'm a general at one point i was an assistant general manager to the bar so i went from busway to assistant general manager in less than three years and there's wow. people that i applied there and done this and done all the routes and i have 10 years on my resume of bartending and blah 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 and blah blah, blah who had never even got close to that So So then
0: you just had your, what sounds like usual Briar moment where you realized that's not what you wanted.
2: Yep. And I had one of those again. (laughs) And and then again, like I was just like, wait, hold on. This is probably a bad thing now. Am I, even though I'm accomplishing these goals, am I just never satisfied? So then that started becoming kind of thing, like this little demon that was like, am I just never going to be satisfied with with what I have?
0: I mean, that's a thing.
2: That is a thing. And I was like, but is it a thing that I was supposed to go through? I know it's, people think, it's a thing that people go through, but I'm like, is it my thing too? Right. And so that was kind of a revelation in itself for me to think like, wow, well, like, am I just going to be an unhappy person, so to speak, never satisfied, always looking for more, running away from things. And I'm like, no, I don't think that's me, but maybe a part of me is mm-hmm. to figure out what this is. So eventually, because I wanted to be the general manager there, not the assistant, Matt, my friend, decided to open his own brewery, which he's still around. He's very successful. Um, I didn't get the job because I didn't kiss ass, basically. Long story short. And I quit because I just didn't want to be in a system that that's how it worked. Like if you kiss ass, get the job, not because you worked hard and did it the hard way. Okay, so be it. It is what it is. Um, and that's when I kind of went on a spin. Um, at this time, I met my, who would become my future wife during the um, Congregation L House bartending days. Mm-hmm. And she was with me for all that. She saw my spiral of not being happy, my job, my career. She saw me change like five jobs in two years because um, I went back to retail, hated it. Uh, worked in another restaurant hated it um, and then I started realizing like no matter what I chose I was not going to be happy at this point and she was there for all of it she saw me kind of like bouncing back and forth six months here nine months here one year here and being a now a mid-30 to late 30 year old going through that really was hard I'm sure for her to go through it but also for me to feel that I didn't after all those accomplishments and now I didn't have anything because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to even do. That sucked. That was probably one of those low moments and what people call, you know, their, their moment where they are just at their lowest point.
0: Yeah. I mean, doing that in your twenties would have probably been okay. For sure. But yeah, in your mid thirties, it's a little, uh, there's no assurance whatsoever at that point.
2: Yeah. And that's when I realized, I'm like, I think I want to open my own business. I think that's what I've I've always wanted. Ten years ago, I had talked to my friends about opening my own business, but money was always the case. But that's that conversation resurfaced again. And it was just, I think, kind of mentality because I'm like, can I really do this? Do I have the money? um am i too old for this all those things that went through my head and my girlfriend at a time um she was like i think you sh- i think this is the path that you should take because nothing else makes you happy anymore as far as jobs so more and more i started looking at it like this 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 is the only thing that i want to do now and so you know i talked to my parents my parents were always my guidance my my uh, they were always there for me when it came to making big decisions and i ran it by them and my parents were like they own their own, they've owned their own business for 25 years to this day oh wow so and it's a small little divey tailor fabric store but they did it out of nothing and to this day it's still there and they still do it and so nice. they were like if you want to do this then do it. But, you know, it's not going to be easy and it's going to suck actually. And you might have days where you make nothing. And even though you, if you go to, you know, an H and M or work at any of these companies, even if you have $0 days, they still pay you a paycheck. Right. If you have $0 days in your own business, you don't go home with anything. Yep. So
0: that right there is the, the, the harsh reality.
2: For sure. And that's why people don't do it. Right. Because the two weeks of getting paid is why people go to work every day, right? Yes. Right. So it's a paycheck. It's guaranteed money. It's stability. It's uh things that we are looking forward to. Like people that live paycheck to paycheck, which was me for most of my life. I lived my life based on that pay period. Right. So taking that risk to not have a pay period anymore. Not having somebody make me uh, send me a check or you know, a direct deposit was like, this is all on me if I decide to do this. So I did and talked to my parents. The parents helped me get loans, I got my own loans. They were all terrible because banks just laughed at us because we had no collateral. I didn't have a house. Apparently, having a house is everything here in the United States because if you don't have one, you're just looked at like garbage, yeah, and, at least through the banks. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I didn't have any of that. And I lived in apartments my whole life. And so, we took out shitty loans, like shitty APR rate loans. And my dad and I were just like, we'll pay these back, right? Sure. Not worrying about that right now, but we needed to do this. So, we did. So, my dad basically became my partner and a silent partner where he was like, I'm going to put this money here. You're going to put your money there and but you're gonna run this so if you fuck this up it's all on you yeah. but if you don't it's all on you so mm-hmm. that's kind of where it's that's kind of where the foundation started and my wife or my girlfriend who would become my wife at the time was like this is amazing this is great and i told her that this was going to be a really hard part more harder then the journey we had just had based on me changing jobs every six to nine months. This was going to be even harder because now it was going to be all on me, period. Mm-hmm. Just to basically make this dream come true from nothing. and So before you go
0: further, how did you decide what your business was going to be?
2: So... I had thought about doing, I've always wanted to, because I worked at a brewery, because I worked in the bar industry, um, I hadn't really worked in coffee. I worked in Starbucks at a quick stint in my life when I was, uh, actually, uh, just backtrack real quick, when I was at Irvine. I oh, worked okay. at urban Outfitters, and I also worked at Starbucks, a side job. Um, sure. I was working two jobs. I always was very, I, my parents are very workaholic, so I was, uh, so was I. So that was very much, very much a party hard guy and work hard guy. Got it. Um, So that's the only experience I ever had in coffee. And because I, because of what I wanted to do, I had decided that, you know, a coffee shop would be great because I eventually want a bar, a Mm -hmm. brewery, but opening a coffee shop is a lot easier. And I knew it. To the point where like I knew maybe 40% at best of coffee, but I drank it every day. I go to coffee shops. So why not just try this out? And I was like, okay, just like everything else, I'll learn everything about it. So I did.
0: So did you have like an attachment to coffee shops or was it literally just like I could do it?
2: It was a little bit of both. Um, I always appreciated coffee and backtracking again when I went to Europe the first time. I remember being in, because I was a coffee drinker at a young age. I was a cigarette smoker and a coffee drinker. And I remember being at a young age going to coffee shops in like Amsterdam and Paris and in London and being like, fuck, this is so cool how people drink coffee here. It's not a cup of coffee here. It's a culture here. People sit down and read the paper. People sit down in their cool outfits and stare at people, and people watch. People sit down and drink a cup of coffee or a cappuccino and look at the Eiffel Tower. I'm like, if I'm going to open a type of business, I want this feeling every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I never forgot that. And even though I wanted to be more beer, if I'm going to open a coffee shop, I want that type of coffee shop, not yeah. a drive. Not a to-go type place, even though that's what American culture is. I want where people want to come, listen to music, even if it's for 15 seconds while they're waiting for their brew to be poured out. But they're going to be moved by what they experience in this 15 seconds to one minute. Right. Just going to get in their car and just take off wherever they're going.
0: I mean, John – John and I, uh, that's like our thing we like to do when we travel is go to different coffee shops. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's just for the, the, you know, like you said, the quick moment of just getting the the coffee and then it turns into a full blown conversation about what we're drinking and how it tastes and mm-hmm. all this stuff. You know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, there's also that shit. We've spent hours sitting at a coffee shop. Yep. Um, Sometimes it's just because it's hot wherever we're at and we need that AC or sometimes (laughs) it's to rest our legs. But we typically will find the coffee shop to make it that resting point and to kind of just, you know, regather ourselves from walking all over the place or being out in the heat or whatever it is. But I think that uh, we've had pretty good experience with it because of that, you know.
2: And I think uh, more than ever now, it's a culture thing. So people want to be part of it because it's it is that. It's comforting. It's somewhere to stop and just rest. It's right. a stopping point before you go to the chaos, yeah. or any point after the chaos. Yeah, I need to work at a coffee shop.
0: Yeah, should, you should come stay down here for a little bit and come hang out with Briar.
1: I <laughs> mean, I mean that's, I mean, that's it's, San Francisco. I gotta, I gotta sit at yeah. a coffee shop.
2: You guys got a yeah. bunch, and that's we carry two two of our coffees in our shop. Are because I am very much inspired by what they do up there in San Francisco. Which ones? Uh, Cyclass and uh, Saint Frank. I
1: love Cyclass.
2: Yes, and they're <laughs> they're down here now. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But they're they're a huge part of why we do what we do. And there's other things we've moved on and done other things with other new roasters that are fantastic. But that's where it started. But um, yeah, drinking coffee in Europe is. If you've never done it, drink coffee in Europe.
0: I haven't Have- been to Europe yet, so um, once I get there, I definitely am going to drink coffee there. Yes. That's, that's without a doubt.
2: And don't do um, caramel frappuccino bullshit either, because that's just going to ruin it. Do an actual <laughs> coffee beverage.
0: He's he's talking to those of you listening at home, because he knows damn well I don't drink no caramel none of that. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> no, nah, man, ask Briar. I got four drinks. <laughs> And it's either one of the four drinks, and the only one that could be considered a little funny is the Chagaccino. And that's because he put me on to that.
2: Yep, and that's good. It's good for is you. It? And honestly, like for those listening, like have a caramel frappuccino when you're here. Just don't have one in Paris. Don't have one in Italy. Yeah, I know. It. Like David enjoy, David it. enjoy it here. Just don't do it there. Have no. an actual cappuccino. Right, right. I'd
1: love I love that. That's what Cyclass got me onto. to. It wasn't like... You know, my Starbucks or my Pete's or even my blue bottle, you know,
2: for sure. Um, yeah.
1: When I went to sight glass of well, my brother who lives in San Diego, he was like, oh, I got to go to sight glass. I was like, what the hell? All right. And ever <laughs> since then, I'm just like, no, this is great. We got to go here all the time.
2: Yeah, it's quality and it's an experience. And it's like, it's almost, you know, I just watched the Ralph Lauren documentary not too long ago. And I remember being like, this dude created a clothing line for the experience of not just wearing the clothes, but it's a whole lifestyle thing. And I remember thinking like, why can't coffee be that? Why can't beer be that, right? And that's what people do in Europe. They drink coffee as a culture. It is it is a cup of coffee. It is an espresso shop, but it's more than that. And that's what I wanted to bring to through. So when we decided to start making this an actual dream, that's what I wanted. I remember being like, I wanted to be, like a shop in Europe, not like a shop in San Diego, not like a shop in San Francisco, not like a shop. And just a little little uh, sidebar, when we decided to open Woolsprew, Brew, I already had been to over 80 shops, coffee shops all over, whether it's New York, San Diego, Europe, Portland, because I wanted a taste of all these shops, not for the flavor, but of the ambiance, the background, the aesthetic, the culture, the environment, the people, the service, everything. Yeah. And I wanted to know all about these shops and why they do what they do. Why did it choose white cups? Why did it choose blue cups? Why did you decided to do 10 ounce? Why did you decide to do a 15 ounce? Why did you decide to do this? Why? I wanted to know everything about every shop that I went to. So I just was writing everything down. So I had a journal that I wrote everything down in and mm-hmm. It was just mostly about just research for my personal account not for anybody to see it was just for me and when i opened wolf through and decided my first day that we would open i would have the things that i would do based on what i love about coffee not just like oh this is an insane quality from nicaragua and it's washed and or it's a natural I'm like no even if it's not about that it's about the experience it's about walking in and seeing the space going like this is cool. Wow. This person was really nice to me. Wow. I didn't even know how to order coffee and they didn't care. They just, they guided me through the coffee process. That was the other thing. I did not want to be a a snobby coffee shop.
0: That's (laughs) important, man. So many people are snobby coffee shops. And like even, even coffee lovers like myself and John deal with snobby coffee shops because I remember like you actually uh, met our buddy Salem and before Salem came on tour with us, it was always like, shit, what do we order? You know what I mean? Like, growing up for me, it was like, I'm basically just getting a small shot of Bustelo. You know what I mean? And that's what I drink. But I didn't know how to go to a coffee shop and ask for that. Hmm. And so that, w- that had always been, like, the hard part. So, like, even with John, it was like, shit, what should I order? You know? Right. And then we... we Started going to Miami and that's easy. You walk into a Cuban coffee and you get a cortadito or you get a, yep. a, a café con leche and, and you're yep. good. You know, you don't have to worry about it. But then you go into these fancy coffee shops and you're like, um, what do you call that? You know what I'm saying? And you're like, uh, is that this, uh, what is an Americano versus a Americano cappuccino versus yeah, a,
2: a... flat white is a Gibraltar. It's all these like yeah. terms for it's coffee.
0: terms. Term. Yeah, and I'm and I'm and you know and then I, they wouldn't even take the time to hear me out and say, look, yeah. I like coffee dark, strong, and I want to taste the damn bean. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, sure.
0: And and then they'd be like, oh, this is what you want. Okay, cool. I'd get it, and I'm like, what is all this milk? What is all this sugar? Yep. And then I'm just like, <laughs> forget it. You know, I don't yep. even know why I try anymore. So then we got Salem, who apparently took like coffee science one hundred and one or something. <laughs> and he comes on tour with us, and he knows how to basically translate. Okay, what you like, this is what you need to ask for. Yep. So then it turned into like, hey, Salem, just order my coffee for me.
2: Yeah. That sucks, right? That you have to do that. That you don't feel confident to order a cup of coffee. Yeah. That's the shit that I was very anti. Because I was such a people person, and I never wanted to make people feel dumb for ordering anything. like. Right why don't you educate instead it takes you 5 seconds just say right. the right words and people will be like oh that's cool thanks man that's yes. it's that simple but people don't want to take the time to do that because they're so like well this is if you came in here this is what you need to know or fuck are you to tell me anything like it's a fucking cup of coffee bro like it's not yeah. complicated but it is you're supposed to know more than i do you work here you own this place you're a manager here you should know your shit. I, if I don't know anything, you should educate me because that's part of your job title to right. educate people and to give people good service. That I was coming into these shops where a lot of these shops were like, oh, you don't know what you want to order? Can you stand to the side, please? Because I need to take the guys behind you's order. And I'm like, wow, okay. So, this is, <laughs> so that was part of what Wolfsburg was becoming, what was going to be, is the anti-snobby coffee specialty shop. Like, I want to make people feel comfortable here because it's a cup of coffee, but it's an experience too. But it's us behind the counter that are going to make that experience besides the music, besides the aesthetic, besides the four walls that I'm standing in. It's about you coming in and wanting to to order a cup of coffee. And if you don't, I want you to feel comfortable even if you don't. That's more important. And if you walk out of here being like, wow, I didn't even know what the Cortado was. Now, next time, I know what it is. That's huge, man. And I think that was so important to me as a person and as just like an individual who had worked in industries where those things could have been gone the other way, where I was like, this is more than just running a coffee shop. It's about educating people who want to drink higher end coffee, who maybe didn't have the sense to do it because they were scared to. That's a weird thing to say, but it is a thing. Right. So we started becoming that. And my brother and I, my brother didn't know anything about coffee. Nothing. He didn't even drink. He doesn't even drink coffee. He does now. And I taught him everything I know because I was like, I want you to kind of be that person who relates to people. Like, you didn't drink coffee. You didn't know anything about coffee. And now you know a lot about coffee because you wanted to learn it and now you drink it. But more than that, you learn because you wanted to and you wouldn't feel stupid learning it. So why should every customer that comes in here feel that way? So right. that became
0: so, d- our thing. so the the day that you guys decided to open up was it just like non-stop people coming through the door?
2: Nope, it was dead. Nobody came through the door. It was like we opened our doors and nobody knew who we were. Um we were on the other side of Long Beach over by Long Beach City College. Nobody knew who we were. Steelhead was the beast of the of Long Beach Rose Park was the other one. Um these guys were very well established. They were the specialty coffee shops of this area. And who are we? We're just, our name doesn't even fit the coffee vibe. Like it's Wolfsburg. What the hell does that mean? Um, And I was okay with it because I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting a welcome. I wasn't expecting a like, hey, check out the new guys in town. I was expecting any of that. And we didn't get any of that. So I remember telling my wife at this point now, That and my brother and my parents, we're going to have to work really hard to make this even sustainable, not even profitable, just sustainable to not be a sinking ship. And I'm going to do everything I can to not let it sink. If we just float, that's all I care about right now. So we I started putting everything into it like time uh the little bit of money that we had um energy as far as like you know ideas what we could do to change this establishing our hours um menus and it was it was hit and misses all over the place and it was heartbreaking at times and but it was also rewarding when we would get it right, right. and with that came sacrifices right And Mm -hmm. in the midst of all that came the sacrifice of, you know, time. That was the biggest one time. I didn't have time for my own family, my own friends, my own wife. Um, And that eventually ended up being a big burden as far as like hurting me and, you know, becoming something that was my journey and it hurt me and it devastated me to be that person that was like, wow, I'm that guy that doesn't have time for his own people. And that was really shitty. But I knew that if I just continued on, that these things would start to come back because my goal was not to make more money. It was to have more time for my friends and love my job. That's what I did. That's why I opened Wolfsbrew. I didn't open Woolsprew to make a shit ton of money, to have five locations, to have... You know, the things that most people want. I opened it so I could at least for once in a long time love my job, love what I do, earn it, and to be prideful in what I do. And those are the things that now I still, I, to this day, those are the things that I'm still very much about. And it wasn't about the money. It was the money will come if I just love what I do. And even though that's just an idea, I figured, like, if I love what you do, if you love what you do, you're going to work hard for it, right? Right. If you love what you do, you're going to actually spend the time to care for it. So I just figured the money would come if you love what you do and you love your life at that point. But at the same time, I didn't like my my life. My life was falling apart around me. Um,
0: I was going to ask you about that. So, like, if you think back in that moment, that emptiness that you felt before when you were having the jobs that you wanted when you were at the position that you wanted to be at did you feel like did, obviously in the moment you didn't know but looking back on it do you think that you got that do you think that you that that void was filled and then now you found yourself with other concerns
2: yeah it pretty much did become that like with these new with this whole new part of my life came new things that were good and bad Mm -hmm. and the bad things were like I said time I didn't have time for anything um sleep was the only other thing that I would make time for and even my own friends never saw me they were very much concerned about the stress level that I was going through um and even I was like Feeling it at times, like I'd feel burnt out, but I still would push through. And I didn't, I couldn't afford to pay people. So it was basically working 10 hour shifts, seven days a week. Yeah. So, you know, that starts to wear on you. Um, your friends start to see it. If I was going to have a beer with a friend or hang out and have a dinner with my wife or even watch Netflix with my wife, it was so precious because it's all, I knew that that moment was very slim. So it meant a lot to me when I get to when I got to have that. So that was when I started realizing like, what's is this too much? Is this impacting my life too much? Is this worth it? So that started becoming a thing,
0: right? Kind of a breaking point almost.
2: Yeah, for sure. It be, it literally was becoming a breaking point. Like I remember telling my dad, like I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Huh? It was mostly because of everything that I was. Even though I was focused, I was losing a lot of things. So, so what,
0: what is your dad, who's at this point got money on the line too, right? Right. What does he say when you're like, um, I, I don't know if I want to do this?
2: He just said, like, do you really want to give up? Hmm. But if you do give up, I won't be disappointed in you. I'll just know that you tried. But do you really want to give up? And that's kind of it. And I decided, like, basically at that point, I was like, yeah, do I want to give up? But if I do move forward and continue this journey that I'm on now, I'm probably going to lose some things. Whether it's more than time, it's going to be probably I might lose some of my friends because they're not going to ever see me. Or, you know, the time that they're used to being around me is going to be less. Um And at that point, you know, my marriage is having a really hard time because I'm not around my wife. I'm not giving her the attention that she deserves. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a husband. So I'm Mm -hmm. so engulfed in my my career at this point.
0: Right. And ultimately, that's the uh, other than losing the business. The only other thing that is really most important of losing would be your wife at this point.
2: Yeah, she was everything. She was, you know, the person that had seen the journey, had been there, had sacrificed herself to be in this position to deal with all the things that were starting all over again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was hard. It was a really hard thing to go through. And in the end, like, it didn't end up working out. Like, we decided to part ways, um, which was what was now feels like the sacrifice that got me to where I'm at. And, you know, I've been asked this question by people like, would I do this again? And I'm like, of course, I would never say, yeah, of course. Yeah, man, I would do this again. I wouldn't want to do this again in that sense that I would want to lose my wife or lose things that I did lose. But I am where I'm at now and I have grown and I have learned a lot and the business is very successful now, which I didn't even think would be at one point I thought this is not going to even once the lease ends, we'll just close up shop. Wow. Yeah. Um, not in that lease ended in June, um, of this,
0: this, past, year. this year. <clears throat> so let me ask you this with that in mind, March hits and it's pretty, it, it's pretty common knowledge that we're going to go through a serious pandemic. Are you at that point like, yeah, for sure, June will be it?
2: Actually, I thought the opposite. Really? I already had signed the papers with my, for my divorce in January of this year. And
0: okay. That, well, I, I didn't even realize it was that recent, to be honest with you. Yeah,
2: so we signed our papers in January of this year. And so I kind of had already lost a big part of me. Mm-hmm. So I decided at that moment that I could not lose the shop. So the conversation I had my with my dad was back in September of the year before mm-hmm. about maybe this isn't going to work out. This, the shop is hemorrhaging money. We're not making money. Um, we can't even pay bills. I'm like two or three months backtrack on bills. I can't I can't even catch up. And so I decided to take out one more loan. And my dad is like, don't do it. It's a bad idea. You already have like too many loans. I'm like, I'm going to do one more loan. So I took out one more loan and that bailed me out to pay bills. So paid off bills, paid, paid bills. And I actually didn't catch up, but I wasn't in the hole anymore. I was Mm -hmm. just, and again, and then, yeah, January comes around and wife tells me she doesn't want to be with me anymore. We already had talked about it before, but now it was a for sure thing. And divorce papers get signed in late January and a month and a half later, COVID hits and living my life, trying to just recover from it or trying to just live my life as as a divorced person in basically in ruins. And I told myself, even through this, now I cannot lose the shop because now Now it's more than just a divorce. Now it's Or just losing my wife. Now it's like I can't lose the shop too.
0: Right. You've already made the ultimate sacrifice. So at this point you have to fight for it.
2: So now I'm like, nope. I'm not going to lose the shop too. So I decided to push forward and I even told my brother and my dad, I'm like, is it the right thing to do to be opening a shop right now? Because COVID is unpredictable. It's something that nobody's ever experienced it's world-renowned affecting everybody not just right. california not just new york not just italy it's affecting everything
0: mm-hmm. so
2: we were like i don't know what we should do should be open should be not should be only needed to go Should we to do website online orders so everybody was starting to do their own thing and i remember telling my brother who's been pretty much one of my right-hand mans during this whole thing And then also, our other employee, Elmer, I talked to both of them like, hey guys, what do you guys want to do? And they're like, what the hell are we going to do if we don't open and we just go home and watch Netflix? And I was like, fuck it. Let's open and until we're not allowed to, let's just be extra cautious. Let's, you know, we were already clean, but let's be extra clean. Let's do extra steps that are necessary and provide a safe space for people. A sanctuary of some kind of normalcy so we did and the first couple of weeks literally standing there by myself nobody would come my brother was you know he he had had a scare that he thought he might have had it didn't have it but he stayed at home quarantined uh, Elmer was there but you know he was helping me as well to get through this by working shifts and you know even hanging in the shop, even though if it wasn't scheduled just to keep conversation there was nobody. There was times when it was like four or five hours with not a single person walking in. And because people were freaked out, the pandemic had just hit, people are paranoid, people were being safe, people were just, they didn't know what to do. They were just like, if I stay locked in my house, that's the safest thing, right? So we were there and I was there. And our friend Eric, who you're familiar with from Garden and Seeds, he became our friend. He was already our friend, but he really became a staple because he was just having conversations. Come in, drink his coffee. He'd sit in the window and pretty much have conversations. How's your day, man? Good. What are you doing? Like, blah, blah, blah. Like us see what happened today. Just literally just venting conversations. Did you hear about sports? It's no longer happening. Blah, blah, blah. And it was great because it would take my mind off of it.
0: It It's so crazy, even for me to listen to this story, this portion of it, because it's, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but this pandemic time period, I feel like has lasted, like the days have gotten so much longer. The weeks are so much longer. The months have felt so much longer. And It it just, to think of like going through this, like I thought this was already a long time ago for you like the vibe that i get you know what i'm saying for sure and and it's just it's a trip so for those of you listening at home and, and for you too john the very first time i went to wolf's Brew, i just saw that there was this coffee shop in the local area and i wanted to try it out and at the time it was uh, another employee there and i walked in and i thought maybe it was one of those coffee shops that we're talking about where I looked at the menu. It wasn't a very extensive menu. I didn't know what to order. I didn't have Salem with me. Mm -hmm. And it was like, (laughs) okay, maybe I shouldn't come back to this coffee shop unless I have Salem with me, right?
1: Right.
0: And the guys from Gardens and Seeds had been doing these. Actually, the day that I decided to call you, John, and say, okay, we're going to do this podcast was after sharing coffee conversation with the guys from gardens and seeds right and so that's their thing it's like all right we gotta we're gonna basically the round table is the table at the coffee shop you know right and so then i kind of was going through these moments of like i needed to clear my head i guess you could say and then when the pandemic hit it was like i need something and I hit those two dudes up because I knew that they were playing it very safe. And I was like, yo, what have you guys been doing? Like, have you been hanging out with each other? And they're like, well, we hit this coffee shop up still, just us, you know? And I'm like, all right, well, hit me up next time you guys go to the coffee shop. And I thought they were going to this one they had gone to before. And they were like, no, 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 we're over here at Wolf's Brew. And I was like, Wolf's Brew? I've been there before. And so then I come to the coffee shop and, I'm, and these dudes are just like, it's home. You know what I mean? And there's there's always that good feeling. Like you you too, John, I know that you're one of those people where it's like you, this is your regular spot. You know what I mean? And so those guys were definitely in that this is our spot moment. And I walked in and Briar was there and it wasn't I didn't need Salem anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now I have I can have this conversation. Briar's there, he can he can explain whatever I need. I met Elmer after a few times of going and Elmer is apparently related to Salem because they both took the same science, coffee science, 101. <laughs> and he breaks things down the same way Salem would. And, and it's like, oh my goodness, I used to not walk out my front door and now I can go around the corner and feel this, like, like I'm at home and be able to be around these people and have this conversation. You know what I'm saying? And I guess you can say, so did everybody else start feeling that way, Briar?
2: Yeah, um, it's kind of crazy because we decided to stay open. We didn't change our hours. We never closed. I just told myself and my brother and Elmer, we're just going to, if you guys don't want to be here, you don't have to. they we're both like, no, we're going to be here. Once my brother came out of his quarantine just for safety, he was like, "I'm gonna be here." So we just started coming to work every day, and they, and I was there every day already by myself, and then Eric was there, every day he was there. Um, Elmer started coming almost every day, just even if he wasn't scheduled, just to hang out, just to keep me company. And then people started coming. Like it went from like nobody to like a couple dudes, a couple people. We we're so happy you're open, everything's closed. We're grateful. It's a simple cup of coffee, but you're providing normalcy. Wow, you're letting us actually walk into your shop, not boarded up. You didn't just put a table outside and tell us we couldn't come into your shop. You know, AC shut off, lights aren't even on. You're just handing us a cup of coffee through, you know, a table or a glass or a window. And I started realizing, like, holy shit, man, like we're doing something that's helping people. Even if it's a cup of coffee or a latte, it's, More than that, it's normalcy, it's routine, it's something familiar, and a friendly face. That's not my own kids, that's not my wife or my husband. As much as I love them to death, I need some other contact, because you weren't allowed to. So, people are coming in and feeling that, and they would tell me, and it was crazy, because I'd literally just be making a latte, thank you for being open. I'm like, no, thank you for supporting us. And they're like, no, seriously, thank you for being open. Here's my 450 or whatever. And I'm like, okay. And then more people started coming. Are you open? We're open. More people started telling people that we we're open. And the next thing you know, we were starting to get, like, busy. And instead of being dead, like we were in the first couple weeks, we were becoming busy and steady. And business started picking up. And it was crazy because I'm like, what is happening? And then people started telling their stories, like, you listen to us, like, while I'm, While you're making a latte or a cappuccino, you're actually listening to my bullshit of me being quarantined for the last month or two weeks or three weeks about how hard it's been, about anything. And it was just that. It was just conversation. And that became kind of like what we started becoming more of, like a coffee shop with conversation, a coffee shop to just get away from work on your laptop for 20 minutes It was a break from the day because now you're at home all day. Now you have kids all day. Now you have your wife all day, your husband all day. All the things you love, but it's all the time. So getting a cup of coffee was nice because it was simple and it was 10 minute drive, 15 minute drive, 20 minute drive, but it was breaking up your day because you got to do those things every day. Normalcy when you were commuting, when you were going to your job, you got to be eight hours away from family. So when you came home, you loved every minute with them. But now you were with them all the time. And now you were like, a cup of coffee is as simple as it is, is my escape.
0: Yeah. And I think the environment that you created adds to it. Um, now, Briar was actually able to take advantage of the um, situation, and he has created like an outside patio area. Mm-hmm. So there's, what is it, four tables, Briar?
2: Yeah, four tables. Yeah.
0: four full tables and like one small table where two people can sit. Yep. Um, And it's all outside seating. You can come in, you get your coffee, you can go sit down outside. All the tables are spread out. It's like the most secure feeling thing that you can have right now. Um, and people are loving it, man. I'm telling you, I go there. I'm there every Saturday, Sunday. I'll <laughs> go for lunch, usually on, on the two days that I work from home. And it's like Every, every time I'm there, you know, and it's always conversation and there's also that feeling that people get of being a regular, you know, like right. the guys there do an amazing job of that, of you, are you getting your usual today? Yes, I am. Okay, cool. And, his, and when he says it's busy, he, I don't think that, like, he's not really explaining it. Like, I've sat there on a Saturday for quite a few hours and it's constant, That people are there like literally as soon as one person walks out another person walks in one person walks out another person walks in there's people waiting outside so they can walk in and it's just like it's constant and yeah that everybody's now coming and enjoying the seating and they're sitting down at the tables outside and it's become this thing but i my favorite part i think of watching all these people come to the coffee shop is the look and obviously you know other than i can't see under their mask but just their eyes the way they light up when they're asked are you going to have your usual
1: yeah that's important
0: it is man it is and i even said something to someone one time when i was there i was like there's something about that feeling of being asked are you getting your usual and they were like yeah man it feels great you know And and it does and so i think that i'm i'm happy for you that business is great um I think people will remember, even if things go back to any kind of normal, in the sense of where people are just going wherever they want all the time, even if it's with a mask on. Yep. They're gonna appreciate it. They're gonna enjoy it. Um, uh, it's it's funny how we talk about the the Starbucks customers. You you're even taking the Starbucks customers that don't know what to order, but they're loving every moment of it. Yep. Um, like I said, even Salem came down and you know I knew Salem was going to come and and analyze the shit out of the place and um <laughs> and when after he left he was like hey man um thanks for letting me know about that coffee shop and I was like not I was like no problem of course you know and he's just like no I, like I really like the vibe there he's like it's it's a really great place he's like it's nice and being able to go over there and sit down and have that cup of coffee just was everything I needed right now with the COVID and everything that he's got going on, you know? And then I was just like, damn. All right. So I know it's not just me and it's not just the coffee, you know? So it's, it's great. Um, based on how business is, I didn't realize that this whole portion of the story was just the beginning of the year or the end of last year. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's interesting to, to hear about for sure, man.
2: Yeah, I've only seen basically like a few months, you know, a few months to six months worth of what's been happening. Right. It's crazy. I tell these guys every day we joke around, but also when we get serious, we're just like, this is insane that we're doing what we're doing during a pandemic because it could easily be the opposite. And the opposite for me would be, you know, to be at home, bummed out, not doing what I love to do. And even though you're limited and you can't do exactly what you want to do, I told myself, like, I'll follow all the rules. I'll do what the system tells me as far as, like, the city following, like, the governor's rules or whatever, not because I'm running a business, so it's about doing the right thing, but it's also more than that it's just being there that's it just being there for people to just come in to that door walk in get their coffee or more than that it it doesn't it doesn't take that much to do that and if it means that much to people it's even better but that's when in like at one point I really decided or actually didn't decide it just happened I was thinking like during COVID I'm like this is when the money doesn't At least for me personally, it didn't matter because I was doing it for nothing besides just being there for myself because it was giving me a sense of normalcy to get up in the morning, put my pants on and go to work when a lot of people got that taken away from them. But it was also giving somebody else the normalcy of like, I still get to go get a cup of coffee because that's all I can do because everything is closed right now. Right. So that was that turning point in my life. During COVID, when I was like, wow, this is more than just a cup of coffee for this person. And it's a big deal for me for this person to be here right now. Because I could just still do the normal thing that I like to do. And that's getting up and running my own shop.
0: Nice. So I'm going to ask you something. And some people typically um, don't really have an answer right away. So it might take you a second. But asking this almost feels uh, a little early being that, like I said, the, the the, the story timeline has now gotten a lot shorter for me. But if I were to ask you what your goal was for the business in five years, what would you say?
2: So just to put it really quickly, honestly... I just want to have all our bills paid and I want to be still loving what I do. Not even like, I don't want five locations. I don't want three locations. I don't even want all the things that business owners want, which is money. I'm like, I just want to still love what I do. That's key because that's what I did. All the sacrifices that I did up to this point was not for the money because I had plenty of paychecks that paid me really well. It was always to love what I do. And some people never get to do that. Some people have big paychecks. Some people don't. And even the people that do have the big paycheck still don't care to love what they do. It's just literally I've had people tell me, like, it's a paycheck. And I don't want to say those words ever. I want it to be like, I love getting up, doing what I do, because I, lo- I love what I do. Period. Hmm.
0: I mean, that's, that's a pretty damn good goal. <laughs> you can't really ask for much more than that, right? Yeah. I think that um, hearing your story and knowing as much as I do know about you, um, I really feel like this was the thing that you needed all along in all those jobs. The pandemic was probably a blessing to you, to be honest, because it kind of helped you realize. It helped the business get to where it needed to be. It helped the people understand who you are and where you're at. But I think it also made you realize that, that void that you needed to fill. You know what I'm saying? That empty space that you had, you're filling that right now in these last three months. And I don't know if you realize that or not. But that's definitely no longer going to be an issue for you.
2: No, I agree with that. I think um, the journey, which is ongoing, has brought me to this point in my life. Right even through a pandemic, and having the people surround me, like meeting yourself, meeting the guys from Garden of Seeds, meeting Elmer, having my brother go on his journey with me, even customers that we've become really cool with, that we have their usual ready for them when they get there. That's all part of this journey right now. And mm-hmm. if I would have stayed in any of those jobs that I've had before with a big fat paycheck, I would have never met any of those people. And that's, that's just how life is, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, wonderful for that reason because the journey is the hardest part but it's the best part
0: yes and for those of you listening at home that is the whole purpose of this conversation is that i think that for me personally um the journey is always something to appreciate it's always something to um learn from take the good with the bad and like you've said plenty of times it's never too late you know you you were where you needed to be in your mid-30s and decided that you needed something different in life and me being in my mid-30s is definitely something I think about a lot it's like am I where I'm supposed to be if I'm not is it too late um you know these are all stuff that I think other people think about too and especially during a pandemic, this is something that people think about, uh, whether it's people who are losing their jobs, whether it's people who are thinking about starting their own business, whether it's, um, you know, they just feel like they can't find themselves through all of this struggle. To me, that's, that's the nice thing to be able to realize, you know?
2: It is. Because it's never too late until, and that's the other part of me that knows that until you have breath in your body, like you can still breathe, it's never too late. Like, as long as you get up every morning, you can still do whatever you want to do. That means it's not too late. That means you can change whatever you want to change. But it's scary. That's the part that sucks. It's very scary. But as long as you can still take a deep breath every day and wake up and go like, wow, I get to live another day. That's the best part. That you can yeah. do, what you want with that day, period. Like it's, it's that, it's that simple, but it's very complicated.
0: Yeah, and it comes with sacrifice, and that's the other scary yep. and hard part. Yep. So, huh. nope, yeah, I get man, it.
1: that's that's kind of the. I don't have a paycheck at all.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm
2: Robin. But I steal from the rich and give to the poor. <laughs> I,
1: I, uh... <laughs> I left Apple after what, 14, 15 years there? And nope. I mean, I I went to other things after, but yeah, no. (laughs) But I I can't wait. I cannot wait to get on a plane again and get back home to (laughs) Southern California. Yeah. uh, Yeah, I I will.
2: Bring
0: your Prius owning ass down here (laughs) and come to this damn coffee shop with me. Yes. uh,
1: I mean, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, we we're still kind of like we haven't really gone out. I miss getting my coffee. You know, like I miss it. I I'll sneak over to Andy Town. I think that's the closest one that I like. Town.
2: Yep, that's my mm-hmm. that's my favorite shop just for myself because it's right. Oh by really? the beach. It's right yes. by the beach, and you can yes, look at the ocean as you're getting your cup of coffee.
1: Yes, it is, and that's yep. where I'll go if yep. uh, if I need to sneak away and grab something from them. But yeah, man, like I I miss sitting at a coffee shop, so. I cannot wait to get back down there, you know. One, obviously, to see my friends, and and two, to meet you in person, and uh-huh. share some coffee with yep. you, and, Stories. and uh, meet your brother and Elmer. It'll yeah, be, it'll be great. If Salem likes it and David likes it, I'm all in.
0: <laughs> Sold, all in. So you want to know? I'm going to tell you something that's interesting about it too. Salem liked the experience so much that he couldn't even tell me how he liked the coffee
1: <laughs> he was more he was more about the experience than the coffee itself that's impressive
2: that is impressive Thank i'm you.
0: telling you man i was yeah, like hey impressive. so so uh elmer wants to know what you think of the coffee and he was like well i mean it wasn't bad but to be honest, with you, i wasn't even thinking about the coffee And I'm like what do you mean he's like dude the whole the whole vibe was great like the people there are great you know obviously eric was there and um my buddy daniel is around the corner so he stopped by and And, you know, it's kind of become like, like I said, it's like this, this safe home base where people feel comfortable. You know, you show up with your mask on and you, you, you're good, you know? So he was just like, I got to come back. So I think I'm going to see Sam this weekend probably.
2: Oh, dang. Sweet.
0: Yeah, man. So thank you, Briar, for coming on here and telling your story. Um,
2: Appreciate
0: it. I, I. I know I'll talk to you about it, but I yep. don't know if you realize how basically laying your whole story out, how people can relate to it and how they can learn from it and how they, it can give them a little push if they need it. And so for me personally, I, we could have had this conversation at the coffee shop, but yep. I feel like it's something that we can share with other people. You know what I mean?
2: I, I appreciate that. Yep.
0: And uh, for, for John, I mean, shit, it got him to record another episode.
2: Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I don't know. Either way, I mean, it's been a rough, It's a, it's been a rough, 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 rough uh, time frame for me, but I think I'll manage. I got good friends. I got friends who care. So that's great.
0: That's so. what's important.
1: So it yes, it is. All right. Well. I appreciate you coming on, man. And I appreciate uh, the conversation. I wanted to just listen because like, I don't like to talk over someone's story, especially when the story is so similar. I'm like, oh my God. Um, But man, I appreciate you sharing it with us.
0: Especially when you're moving along so well on your own. It's almost like, okay, I'll just be quiet here.
2: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Keep it going.
0: Yeah, man. That was good. Thank you.
2: Thanks guys. Thanks, David. Thanks, John.
0: Oh, and wait, before we finish, where can the listeners find you?
2: Um,
0: on in, what is the, 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 the actual, what is it called? The handle on Instagram for the oh, coffee yeah. shop?
2: We're using millennial words now. Yeah, that's right. Uh, just Wolfsbrew LB or else Wolfsbrew underscore LB is our handle on Instagram and then LB.com is our website if you don't get the handle on the Instagram. Uh, then we're in Long Beach by Long Beach City College. So if you don't know any of those other things, don't have an Instagram, don't have access to the computer, just roll on through. So um, yeah, thanks guys again. This was really cool to be able to just talk. It was really cool just not nostalgic-wise just to be able to go back to just my childhood for a sec through my college years and live
0: through it again, huh?
2: Yeah. That isn't that what life's about though? Cause that's the thing, that's the thing you can't ever lose, right? Your memories and being in tale stories. So that's what people used to do people before Instagram and website and television, they used to (laughs) run campfires. So that's what we just did, but not around a campfire
0: with two old guys.
2: Yep. (laughs) <laughs> two old guys with two old guys wise men right yeah the
0: two wise men right here wise men yes oh man cool so visit wolfs brew if you if you do go there uh tell them that david sent you they're not going to give you anything special but they are you know it'd be nice to know who who showed up because you heard it here <laughs> <laughs> that's it
1: there's no there's no there's no promo code there's no, 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 no. life,
0: life is not about a promo code. Okay, yeah. you just go and support a good business and get the great <laughs> service they offer. But it would still be nice to know that you went because you heard about it here.
2: Yep, exactly. <laughs> it's that simple, right?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, sometimes we overcomplicate things.
0: Yeah, yeah definitely. They
1: exactly. overcomplicate things. Cool. I cool. appreciate you guys, man.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Guys.
1: Thank you.